Join us for Tech by Design, presented by Cedia, September 23rd and October 6th, a free, multi-association-approved virtual event for the design community. From lighting to entertainment to technology trends, learn to speak to your clients with confidence. Register now at cedia.net slash techbydesign. Welcome to the interior design business. This is our second webinar and we're delighted to have you for company. My name is Jeff Hayward and today with my co-presenter Susie Rumbold, we're rethinking technology and interiors in the post-pandemic home. It's no exaggeration to say that never before in the history of the modern family have homes been under such intense pressure as they have been since March 2020. Since the beginning of the crisis, often small residential properties that would have been mostly empty during weekdays and only fully occupied during sleeping hours have suddenly had to do double duty as office, school and gym, putting enormous strain on occupants as they compete for the space they need. People are radically rethinking the ways they want to live now and interior designers are leading the way to address these new client requirements. So, what should interior designers be focusing on to meet these new needs? And how can technology help solve some of the problems we're going to encounter in this brave new world? Now, we're delighted to have two experts with us. We have Vanessa Leyland and Andrew Royal. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you both. So... Um, Vanessa from Vanessa Leyland Interiors, would you like to just say a little bit about your background in interior design? Sure. So I'm a British interior designer, but I've been based in the Netherlands for about seven years now. Um, my uh, interior design background is I started off working for Helen Green Design many, many years ago. Um, and then from Helen Green, I moved working at the Studio Harrods um, as a senior designer. I've been lucky enough to work on some very interesting <laughs> and exciting projects. Um, and it's, it's been very interesting taking that over to the Netherlands and seeing how things are different here and, and making it work over here as well. So, so that's my background. Very good. And Andrew? Your company is Eclectic Home Technology. Yeah. What's your story? Well, I've been sort of kicking about this industry since the, the turn of the century and worked with various sort of um, other custom install companies and manufacturers along the way. And sort of three years ago, um, thought it was time to do it sort of my way. And um, we formed Eclectic Home Technology then. And since then, we've, um, we've done some really amazing projects for some amazing clients. And... You know, we've uh, picked up London homes and country estates and have sort of, I suppose, in the last 18 months, um, diversified the business into um, super yachts and marine installations. So it makes for a, a very interesting, um, a very interesting workplace and an interesting sort of, I suppose, uh, dynamic with the projects that I do and the people that I come across. And one of the sort of the, the very interesting things is that, of course, everyone was affected by this um, not so long ago. So we've had to change our focus considerably um, to better match the expectations and the needs of our clients. And um, so it's been a, a very interesting time and our clients have learned a, a little bit and we've learned an awful lot. Very good, right. Now we recognize that this is a huge subject. We will be focusing today on four key aspects, multifunctional spaces, working from home, health and wellness, including lighting and ventilation, and finally, biophilic design. Susie, multifunctional spaces, what's your take on that? So I was really interested in the research that Savills did towards the end of the lockdown when everyone had been stuck in their homes for several weeks. And uh, they did a massive survey and they came up with the following stats, um, that 39% of the under 50s wanted to move to a bigger property. 49% of people expect home working to continue long beyond the pandemic, and that 71% were looking for more outside space, all of which they thought would lead to a, a flight to the country. Now, that's fine for some people, and some people clearly will achieve that, but for an awful lot of people, for all sorts of reasons, that's just not a practical solution. So I suppose my 
my take on what's going on at the moment is that our houses are going to have to work much, much, much harder than they have done hitherto. And that spaces that once upon a time just had one function are going to have to become multifunctional. Vanessa, how does that chime with your experience? I completely agree. Um, I think when the pandemic hit and everybody had to go into lockdown, uh, mum's trying to work from home whilst dad is trying to work out in his home gym whilst children are also working in the same area. And I think we all know now that that just does not work. Um, so moving forward from that, when we now start considering the spaces at the kind of briefing stage with our clients and kind of in our own homes, it's how do we need to consider how to make these spaces work for different functions, um, for children's learning, um, also say if we've got an elderly person living with us, how can we make that work and how can that be multifunctional? Um, yeah, and with the home office, guest bedroom, with this pull down bed or a Murphy bed, I think they're amazing uh, storage solutions um, and great for trans transitioning, sorry, of spaces. Um, and aesthetically, um, they can look great. I've, I've literally just put one into a project quite recently, actually before the whole pandemic. And they are a wonderful way of um, having a really good quality mattress, the same as what you have, would have on a normal bed. Um, and it's hidden away, they can look great, tied up into joinery, or they can have smart desks that come up and down. So I think there are a lot of things that, that are gonna have to change and there's gonna be a lot of doubling up in terms of rooms and just making it work nicely. Now I understand completely about uh, multifunctional spaces and this picture here is a great example, but Andrew, from a technology purist point of view, it could be better. Absolutely, this room, you know, that looking at this room as an example, it's a, a beautiful looking room, but I suspect that working in it would be difficult acoustically uh, and with all of those reflective surfaces. And if one thinks about having a Zoom meeting in that space, um, I suspect that you'd be twice as tired at the end of it as you were at the beginning of it. And so we would, you know, that in this sort of space, we could look at a number of things to acoustically treat the room that would do reduce reverberations within the room and actually probably reduce the noise that your kids transferred into that room as well. I think that these Murphy beds or Pullman beds, depending on what you want to call them, are particularly useful in this sort of space. However, if you physically have to lift it up and put it back and, you know, on a daily basis, I think for the first week, that probably happens. Thereafter, they stay sort of folded down permanently. And, you know, that would be very simple for, for somebody like myself to, or, you know, a, a CDA company to come in and automate um, that facility so that you pressed a button and it went up. Uh, and, you know, that very simply and very easily, you could turn it from a chore into, um, I suppose, a routine, something as simple as turning on a light switch. The only way that this is going to work is if it's easy for people. Um, it's like you know, people are fundamentally lazy and anything that changes a function of the space from one function from one thing to another, it's got to be absolutely seamless and it's got to be so easy to execute in a few seconds so that people will actually do it. Otherwise, as you said, you leave the bed on the floor and you just walk across it and you push your, desk, your chair back against it and you know the thing falls up with clothes and bedding and everything else. So one of the things that we're going to have to be, I think Vanessa already touched on this, is being really, really clever with our storage solutions going forward. Vanessa, do you want to just talk about how you're designing children's spaces or how you think about children's spaces going forwards? Yeah, this is a real interesting one because before doing this, I, I spoke to a lot of different people about children's spaces and how it's kind of affected their day-to-day -day living. And um, I think it's kind of quite interesting because children, what, what we've discovered as, as parents, and, and I find this interesting from a design point of view, is that children don't always learn in the same way. So you've got some child that's gonna be happily learning at their desk, and then another one that is going to learn much better, kind of hanging upside down from the sofa. And that's kind of gonna breed their creativity. So, and also if they're stuck indoors, it's having transitional areas for the children to keep them stimulated so that they are not constantly wanting to go onto the iPad or, 
or things like that and to find let them have kind of zones where they can change what they're doing so I think this is as a designer really fun actually because we can really play with it and I, I love this with the kind of climbing wall and the little look for somewhere to go in and read um, I think it's a brilliant concept image what and also something that occurs to me is that because little people are little you can achieve these sorts of mezzanine spaces in typically you know normal ceiling heights whereas you couldn't do that for adults but you know a child would just love the idea of, of climbing up onto that onto that sleeping platform I totally agree I think it's I think it's lovely and it's really creative I think it pushes their creative boundaries which is so important and with these uh, kind of compact spaces for for little ones Andrew would you be thinking about some technology that needs to be hidden away here well, look, absolutely. And um, that, you know, the technology for children needs to be absolutely bombproof and work, you know, 100% of the time, all of the time, the way that it should do. And, um, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than an eight year old with an iPad that isn't connected to the internet when they need it to be connected to the internet. Um, and so I think that, that, that children sort of need really, I suppose, bomb-proof connectivity, but safe connectivity so that they can only access um, sites and content that is, you know, age appropriate. Um, and that, that that is managed as, you know, part of the, the parents sort of, you know, it's easy for the parents to manage so that they do manage it. I think that the other thing that, that children love is, um, is music and giving them access to be able to listen to their music in their space the way that they would like to is something that only sort of broadens their horizons and helps their creativity. And uh, I think that, that it would be hard to argue that children need televisions in their rooms. Um, they absolutely don't and they're watching content in a different way. However, giving people music in their, you know, giving children music in their bedrooms is an entirely different sort of animal and something that that absolutely enriches their lives and is you know can be used to wake them up in the morning can be used to put them to sleep at night can be used to relax you know um, the irate eight-year-old um, can be used to encourage the you know um, encourage the sort of you know um, the and I suppose bring out the creativity and bring out the best in those people um you know in those children and so i think that yeah that would be the thing that um i would like to see in more children's rooms and give them the control of it and so if you're giving them the control of it that also needs to be really really simple really need you know reliable and in such a manner that they can you know uh, they can relate to it actually the simplicity is probably required by their parents more than by the children well, there's sort of there's an odd venn diagram where they're, they're sort of as they get older the reliance upon the the parents to sort out the tech becomes you know less and less yeah um but there's a front edge on that that they need to you know it just needs to sort of work and now with all these multi-use spaces what we're talking about is actually rezoning the home making the the kind of public and private spaces more distinct and Elspeth on the chat just asked a really good question. Do, do we see the end of open plan living? And, and how, do you, how do you look at that going forwards, Vanessa? I don't see, I think it's going to really depend. So as Susie was explaining beforehand about um, people moving away to the country, I think when some people are going to do that with, with larger greener spaces, they may want to move away from that open plan living because they're moving to a larger house and they might go back towards that traditional floor plan space. But that's just not going to work in a small apartment in a city. And actually, a lot of people like the open plan living. You know, it's, it's a lot of, a, it's much more of a kind of a modern layout for the modern client or family um because they like being all together but at the same time we know that doesn't work when everybody's in lockdown on a pandemic so having these transitional spaces is wonderful and it's a great way of being able to um open up inject more light which is obviously better for all of our well-being and then kind of closing them off um for more day-to-day -day functions when everybody has to be in one space at one time what do you see as the challenges susie here well, I think I think open plan living is always it depends on where you are at the stage with your family, assuming it's a family home, because if you've got tiny children, they always just want to be where you are. So open plan living is kind of 
it just happens because you know if you're in a, if you're in a kitchen and somebody they'll be playing under your feet so one of the reasons why open plan living evolved was because people were spending more time in, in together because if they had tiny children but when the kids get older they get to teenage age and they just want to be alone again so you've always had to have a mix of private and public spaces and i think particularly what's come out of this pandemic is it's, it's become apparent that people find it very stressful to always be together all the time. So I think we have to think very really carefully about making sure that everyone in the family or, you know, your, your, your broader client, not just the, the person that's employing you, but everyone that has a stake in that environment has a place where they can come together, but also a corner to call their own, no matter how small that is. And I think this, this photograph illustrates beautifully that this is a really nice slick looking set of folding doors that could be used to actually zone off. I'm assuming it's a dining area from a, from a, a, a sunroom um, or a more formal sitting area from a sunroom to, to create two spaces where two activities could go on. Um, so I think, I think it's, we need both. And I don't think that open pan living will die because I really think that small children will always want to be where their parents are and you have to have your kids under your feet because you need to know what they're doing we're really talking then greater flexibility i think that's the that's the nub andrew moving walls and moving doors uh, uh, again convenience is going to be key and technology can again help here can't it absolutely uh and that that you know automating doors automating windows uh is you know that the, the something we're doing already. Um, we're not doing it necessarily to, I suppose, enable uh, a change in use in the room. We're, we're doing it to sort of you know, make life easier or with something that is heavier than it need otherwise be, uh, or that heavier that, that, that would enable manual movement of it. Um, but of course, that can be applied to all sorts of things and there would be nothing to stop us also, you know, semi-automating the spaces so that we know that in the morning when everybody gets up at breakfast, we need an open plan house. Uh, but at, you know, nine o'clock when everybody's at work and everybody's off to do their thing, there'd be nothing to stop us, you know, sort of automatically and with safeguards, um, transferring, transforming those rooms uh, without any user input. Um, so your house is sort of preempting the way that you would want to use it when you want to use it. And that, that way you can have a you can have a you know piano lesson going on in one part of the house and a you know somebody learning doing maths homework in another part of the house and somebody running a major corporation upstairs and everyone's got the, the space and the and the acoustic separation that they need to allow those things to happen. And this is one of the things where people clients have been spending more and more time at home, becoming more familiar with their home and becoming more familiar with its limitations too. I think it's also key in, in making it so that it's really, really user friendly. So I remember years ago having a meeting with a client um, and we were talking about how much technology we were going to incorporate into their home. And, um, and they, they told us a story about when they were staying at the Bulgari hotel and every time they turned in their bed, <laughs> The lighting sensor, and I know this isn't movable walls, walls, but it's a similar kind of example, but the lighting sensors kept on coming on. So they actually were staying in this wonderful hotel, but they had the worst night's sleep because of it. And I think that comes to kind of day-to-day -day living. There has to be, it's got to be technical, but it's got to be practical as well. Um, so that you're not in those kind of situations where you're kind of, I can't move this wall. Understood, <laughs> understood. Now we just touched on working and homeschooling when we were talking about those multifunctional spaces earlier. Um, it's becoming more of a thing, isn't it, Andrew? And, and certainly you've been busy over lockdown helping clients adjust to the new reality, which, will, which is likely to continue. Look, absolutely. Um, that my clients have all had sort of an adjustment um, to, to working from home and understanding this sort of that what their children bring to that equation as well, um, good, bad, and indifferent. Uh, and I, I think that, that we require an awful lot of technology to work from home. Um, you know, on its simplest level, we need a, an internet connection on a laptop. Um, however, that, that only sort of just cuts, you know, that cuts across the, the very, I suppose, the, the, the very basics of that in that, you know that if you're one day a week or you're one morning a week and you're working in your dining table that's potentially uh you know an acceptable solution however if you're five days a week working at your dining table and your chair isn't supporting you and your laptop's at the wrong height 
and you've got you know um, cables trailing all over the floor you know that, that you're now into a world of actually this has got a, a fairly detrimental effect upon me um, both physically um, and on that you know I can't use my dining table anymore as a dining table because it is my office um, it's covered in you know the papers that our paperless office generates um, and so I, I think that 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 working from home spaces you know that, that sort of they're actually they require an awful lot more thought and working from home spaces require not just sort of ergonomic thought and you know occupational health and safety thought um, they require network security thought and they require network security thought from you know is my something as fundamental as is my internet connection capable of doing this to if uh, I'm connecting to my corporate network um, have I got a secure connection to them? Have I got the best possible connection to them to get that information? And actually, am I also protected from the IT guy the other way? Um, and so, you know, uh, what could be as simple as a laptop on a dining table actually isn't. And then you think about acoustic properties of rooms, you think about audio quality, you think about all of those other things that go hand in hand and if we are having long zoom meetings uh, they are intensely focused uh, and that any little i suppose relief that one can give from one's aesthetics from one's room um, is welcome in that environment and one of my clients is currently conducting business in china and he spent about four hours a day on Zoom having meetings um, via translators. And I said to him, you know, how do you feel at the end of it? He said, well, actually, the four hours is really good because I'm doing eight hours of meeting in half the time. But I have to be incredibly focused the whole time. Everybody can see whether I'm checking my email or whether I'm doing something else. And so I have to be 100% present and participant in the meeting all the time. I get a little visual, little sort of you know window, and I get very little visual clue about what um, people are saying and that the subtext of what they're saying, and that's even worse um, when you apply the translation to that. Um, and so, at the end of my four hours like that, I feel like I've done you know eight hours worth of normal meetings, but it's had a sort of a, a sixteen-hour toll upon me. Um, and that at the end of it, I'm really quite cooked. Um, and so that anything that you can do to sort of make that world better, uh, I think is, is you know, that, that has to be considered in the design of that room. Now, Vanessa, working from home is nothing new in the Netherlands, is it? No, it's not. I, um, it's quite an interesting one. So when the, when we went into lockdown, obviously kind of, I work out of my home anyway, that's where my office is. And it was still, you know, a difficult transition because I float from my office to my kitchen table. So when the, the children are around, that just doesn't work. Um, so that was really interesting. And I read an, art an article um, about the stats on this and it was, I've got it written down here, so I am gonna read it, but it was 4.7. So before the pandemic, uh, working from home, it was 4.7% in the UK. 3.6% in the US and 14.1% in the Netherlands. And it just, everything just clicked into place because I, when I was talking to my friends back in the UK, for them, it was kind of a real relief, a lot of working from home. Whereas for me, the, the ethos in the Netherlands is so different and offices encourage people to work from home a lot more. And I think that's, that's actually a really, really positive thing that will come out of this pandemic is that people will have the ability to be able to work from home and go into the office, which will therefore give them a bit more autonomy in the work that they do um, and also be able to juggle what they're doing in their day to day lives around their work a bit more. So I think it's a really good thing. I was on a, a webinar with some um, kind of corporate types a week or so back, and they were talking about the responsibility of employers to ensure that 
people working from home are actually set up correctly. So, you know, we all panicked, we all took our laptops home, we sat at our dining table, but actually if this is gonna go forward, we are going to need, Andrew already said it, we are gonna to need to make sure we have the correct chair, that our computers are set up at the correct heights. Um, after three months of this, people are developing back, neck and shoulder issues, and people will start suing their employers. And it will actually get to the point where employers will have to A, provide the kit, but B, also do home visits to make sure that um, it's set up correctly and ergonomically. Um, and so I think this is where interior designers, again, will have a, a, a role to play in dealing with some of these corporates to, to actually say, okay, how can we make this work for your staff in their own homes? And um, it's gonna be a big expense for employers too, because they'll have potentially, if people are doing part-time in the office and part-time from home, they may have to have two duplicate sets of kit wherever they go you can't expect people to be lugging things backwards and forwards and technology is obviously critical in in making a, a home office space efficient andrew but presumably you're going to have to look at connecting with corporates as well to make sure that security is there well absolutely and um that you know that the different corporates have got different levels of security requirements and i suspect that most of them have reduced their working from home security requirements in order to get us through you know what i suppose this initial um change uh, however that will need to be brought back into sort of sharp focus i would have thought now from now onwards and um things like teleworker boxes um and you know that the, the hardware-based, I suppose, teleworker boxes that you connect to your network that can then directly connect back into the corporate network via a secure VPN. Um, that the corporation manages and looks after is a very simple way of sort of making that happen without getting sort of too IT in people's homes. Uh, I do think that um, I do think that. That, you know that, that Susie's right in that people are going to end up with multiple devices and particularly if you've got resource hungry you know applications that you need to run on your on your computers you know potentially a laptop might not cut it um, and so then you need a desktop and then you need you know if you're running that sort of application you probably need two monitors and you need that on your desk at work and you need that replicated on your desk at home and also you need all of the files that you were working on at home today to be accessible on your, you know, uh, on your desktop at work tomorrow. And the two need to be sort of infinitely interchangeable. And, you know, the cloud storage and networking and teleworker, uh, I'm thinking of a, a Meraki box in particular, but there's a number of different sort of, um, you know, sort of pieces of hardware make that particularly easy for corporates to deploy into people's homes, keep them secure, and also to keep you and your home life in a digital sense separated from the office. So it's gonna be a different world, Vanessa, going forwards where corporates are gonna be uh, putting their hands in their pockets to fund home offices, but also clients are still gonna want it to look nice as it does in this picture, and you don't want ugly boxes and trailing wires everywhere, even if the corporate has invested Yes, absolutely. And I had experience on this on a, on a project before in Buckinghamshire where we had designed beautiful bespoke desks uh, where we could hide all of the wiring, which were then trailing down into the floor which of a 100% silk carpet. Um, and, and I had been in communication a lot with that client's office and technical department, but actually this is where I could have really done with Andrews as a technologist to come in between to kind of help mitigate that risk because I found myself in a situation with my carpet suppliers with me and a knitting needle and glue so that they could fit it all back beautifully and literally on my hands and knees after relaying everything out in the space again about 10 times um, and poking a hole into 100% silk carpet and fishing wires through. So, you know, I think <laughs> be nice as designers, I think to have a little bit more help there. And I think also for us to know when to push back and to say, actually, you know, this is where we need to bridge a gap. And this is where the technologist comes into play. So um, I think that's really, really important in our field. 
And, and similar issues, Susie, with home education, where we've had a lot of homeschooling going on. Uh, implications of that for interior designers in the future is, is quite significant. Yeah, I think it's you know it's, it's more than just having a dedicated desk area for each child. You know, there 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 are times when they need to be in a group. They need to be you know with other people. There, you've got tutors coming. I know I've had clients that have had tutors coming to their homes all the way through this to to help with with children who are preparing for significant exams and music lessons and all sorts of things. So some stuff's being done remotely, and then you've got fitness classes that are going on remotely. So kids, I think, tend to be homeschooling all over the house. It's not just one location, and we need to have a think about. Um, all the different things that they like that they would normally do in the course of an, an average school day if they were at school and try to accommodate all those things within the home it's a it's a hell of a challenge what do you think andrew in terms of technology for kids in this sort of home education environment sure so that the technology for kids you know that clearly starts with a, a bomb proof internet connection um that gets them their access to the online learning however that might be delivered to them and uh, you know that as a, a very aside on this I think that, that some schools have done a particularly good job of this and some schools have shied away from it as too big a problem to efficiently solve and it's outside of their skill set and their understanding and I think we'll see schools take a big step forward in their understanding of how to deliver this sort of thing and the, the potentially we'll see some unification on um, how it's delivered um, so that quality content can be consistently delivered uh, my, you know, my children, I've got 10 year old twins, uh, have been homeschooling, they're still at home, they're still homeschooling, they won't go back to school until September, um, have had content delivered to them, um, you know, by the school, we've downloaded our own content, we've created our own content, we've watched podcasts, we've watched webinars, we've worked in the living room, we've worked in the sitting room, we've worked in the kitchen, their computers are set up in the office behind me. Um, you know that they are, they're sort of there everywhere doing everything. One of the things that I, you know, I, I think that is difficult about homeschooling is that my two, uh, unless one of you know, my partner or I sit with them, um, aren't particularly driven to complete the tasks that they're set. Um, and so require, um, require assistance to stay focused. Um, and that if you've got that, you've sort of got to be able to continue working, keeping one eye on them. Um, and that, that, that's, a, a, I suppose, a difficult space that enables one to do both and to shut the door and keep them working and have a conference call or a phone call or a video conference um, and know that they're still working out there and you know not setting fire to the house in the background uh, but from a technological point of view I think that the key thing is is um, I suppose really good internet and then appropriate devices and so kids get iPads kids don't really get keyboards um, they don't really get mice but they do get touchpads. Um, and so having the right devices for them to, um, to work with what they have. Um, and you know, that um, styluses, kids get that if they write on a screen next to a box, that makes sense. Um, you know, the, the, the keyboards, not a, a logical step in that world. Um, and so that being giving them the right devices to do their homeschooling, I think is the other. We're talking about flexibility on a whole new level and understanding the client and the client's family on a whole new, whole new level, aren't we, Vanessa? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that when it comes to a briefing stage of projects, we need to be asking so many more questions and really kind of trying to future-proof homes for our clients and especially the clients that have small children because they don't know what it's going to look like, whether seven-year-old and a four-year-old if it goes back into lockdown with the home learning so it's, it's about kind of trying to help advise and guide them in the right way and and helping them with a home that's gonna be kind of holistically works well for them as well <laughs> and and meets their needs long into the future that's the, that's the key yes who knows if we face another pandemic situation in a few years time you know, absolutely. And I think we have to be really futuristic. I remember going out for dinner with some friends of ours in January. And this guy said to us, who's a friend of ours, he's like, yeah, so I know this is going to sound crazy, guys, 
But um, I'm telling you that we are all going to have to go into lockdown over the next few months. You're going to have to store up all your food, you know, blah, blah, blah. and we kind of laughed at him. I'll be honest, we were like, it's crazy. Um, and then, of course, in March that happens. So, you know, we, we have to evolve with that. So let's talk also about health and fitness because lockdown has taught us a lot about um, not going to the gym. Andrew, do you want to take us through this picture? I think it features your two 10-year-old twins, am I right? This does feature my twins. Um, that, that at, the start of, you know, at the start of lockdown, we knew that, they, um, that, that they're much more compliant after they've exercised in the morning and burnt off some of their energy. Uh, and so that my boys have been doing Joe Wicks every day that Joe Wicks has been on. And um, we didn't have an appropriate space. So we had to convert our bedroom into a gym come yoga space, come Joe Wicks workout room um, in order to get them, I suppose, you know, in order to enable them to do that. And of course, on Fancy Dress Friday, um, they both dress up as does Joe Wicks. Um, and they thoroughly enjoyed that and it set them up for, I suppose, the rest of the day. And, um, but we had to conscientiously, I suppose, rezone one of our rooms and turn it into something that it probably would never otherwise have become. And uh, that they, um, I suppose, this morning, um, Joe Weeks wasn't on this morning, so we did a, um, we did a Peloton yoga session together. And um, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't do that under our existing sort of spaces and, you know, that, that we had to sacrifice, you know, part of that room in order to do that. Um, but actually having done that, I don't think we'll change it back. Um, we quite like doing, you know, they come in in the morning and, you know, we do yoga with them or we do whatever. And um, in, of an evening, we sometimes do yoga or we do a meditation um, from an online source. And um, it's sort of become one of those things that's actually, uh, that the whole family enjoys. Uh, and they're of course, significantly fitter than what they were doing when they were at school. Um, and at the end of it, we've sort of come back with some, you know, with some fitness and some health, but also some, I suppose, some general holistic well-being things um, from the yoga and from the meditation as well. So it's been a, a sort of, if you can take a, bonus from this my family have certainly got that from this and if we're talking professionally designed multifunctional spaces that might incorporate a gym element or a studio element that can be achieved Susie can't it so this is a this is a multifunctional media room but does double duty as a as a yoga studio and a, and a home gym um, and it's it's just it's just you can see how many different things you could you know you could turn it into an art studio or you could turn it into a music recital hall or you could there's a gazillion things you could do in that just because it's a nice big flexible space with you know audience participation around the edge and plenty of performance space in the middle. But don't clients have dedicated gyms in the sort of properties that an interior designer might work in, Vanessa? Yes, they do. We, we were talking about this, I think, the the other day as well that we were saying that a lot of gyms at the moment in people's houses are quite often in the basement of the property and actually having gyms in an outdoor space is probably something that is going to be more of a trend coming because again if we go into a lockdown situation um, and with the social distancing that is, is currently still going on, a, a personal trainer isn't going to want to go into a basement with not great ventilation. Um, but they will go into an outdoor space um, and they can still stand at a distance um, and, and still give a great personal training session. So I think that's also really important. And, and also the idea of if we're all stuck in the house all the time, actually it's been proven that working outside doing exercise outside and being around nature is really really good for our mental health so it's also and and knowing that our home is now becoming part of a home office as well as where we live we kind of need to do our own human resources and maybe even try and think about kind of maslow's hierarchy of needs and i think this will kind of really help achieve that by taking us to the outdoor connecting us 
giving us more oxygen, you know, and really focusing us to perform in our day-to-day -day tasks that we have to do. Well, there's, there's, also, there's also evidence that if you work outside, you should get your outside time earlier in the day um, because it's that hit of vitamin D that you get as a result of being outside in the morning that will enable you to sleep easily. And I think through the pandemic, a lot of people have been complaining that they've had really disrupted sleep patterns that they've been, you know, people have been under enormous stress and they've been struggling to sleep. So, you know, going to your basement gym and sitting on a treadmill for half an hour, even though you might, it might wear you out, it's not going to give you the same benefit that you would get from actually being in a space like the one on the screen here. So more, more opportunities for integrators and interior designers in thinking about health and wellness. And we're not just talking about home gyms because lighting is a massive part of that too, isn't it, Andrew? Absolutely. And, um, and that, that, you know, that making sure that, that one is in touch with their circadian rhythms um, to get the most out of their day and to avoid things like if we spend too much time in our basements, you know, seasonal adjustment disorder and, and such the like. Um, and so, you know, that, that very simply we can, you know, that, that this can be programmed in so that you get a colour change of lighting throughout your day, um, but requires, you know, hand in glove, you know, work between the integrator and the interior designer because the fittings need to be specially you know, specified, the control system needs to be correctly specified, and then the programming needs to, of course, follow that. And so um, it's one of those things that certainly we have, um, we've seen a, a request and we found just sort of backtracking just slightly, a number of our clients have found that the, J, the basement gym that they've got um, was fantastic until they needed to use it as their only gym, and now it doesn't work anymore. And so that they've reimagined their gym and they've reimagined the color temperature of their lighting uh, and they want invigoration. Um, they don't want relaxation. They want invigoration at some times. And then they also want to turn that into a yoga studio at other times um, that their spaces uh, uh, didn't meet their requirements anymore. And so I think that we're seeing a, a reimagination of of even those traditional basement gyms, but the incorporation of this sort of thing and the incorporation of, I suppose, management of um, where one has to have artificial light, um, the management of that in order to get a, a well-being or a sense of well-being from that. And actually, this this next photograph, just to explain, because it's hard, you doesn't really. I need to tell you what it is. This was an amazing project that was done um, for two professors, for a house in Scotland on the edge of a lock. And the two professors travel extensively. They both lecture in the States and they come backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards between the UK and the US, although probably not at the moment. Um, but they were struggling with jet lag. So they had this property built to mitigate the effects of jet lag. So what you've got is you've got these amazing blackout blinds that come down from the edges of the, uh, the, the obscure, the, the plate glass windows. And then the lighting is actually exactly what Andrew's just described. The lighting actually will change so that if they got home, if they'd been on the red eye and got back to their house at seven in the morning, they could actually have light that made them feel sleepy. Um, and they they reported so the whole way that this property was set up was specifically to to manage that sort of shock and I think that's really applicable. I can see it being so useful in children's bedrooms. You want them to be energised in the morning when they're sitting at their desk, and you don't want them to be energised at eight o'clock at night. And in terms of ventilation, Andrew, do you want to talk us through this? Sure. So this is obviously an older piece of news. Um, that, however, I suppose at the extreme end, it highlights. Um, it highlights quality of air and um, the management of the quality of air in your house. And um, for those that didn't catch this when it came around the first time, um, Jensen Button purportedly um, was staying in a villa in the south of France and, um, and burglars um, inject or injected sleeping gas into the air conditioning system. They slept through the night, woke up the next morning and realised that their jewellery had been burgled. Um, there's conjecture, you know, that, that it's not a, a straight line between A and B, um, but the headline of the story was that the air in the house was compromised. And so there's two things on that. There's one that, um, you know, that, that, that do we all have Jensen Button's jewellery? Probably not. Um, however, if our air was compromised because of 
a biohazard. You know, that's a sort of a more real problem for us all. So I think we need to look at ventilation systems, one, to keep us safe from the outside air and to filter, um, and two, to understand what the air is like where you are. And so at the moment I'm in my office, the door is closed, and I'm acutely aware that the carbon dioxide levels are increasing in my room. Um, and in an ideal world, I'd open my window and um, that would sort of solve my problem. Um, but I'm sort of, I'm aware of that. And so I would do something about that. But these sort of things can creep up on you. And so we could very, very easily do a number of things to automate. One, um, you know, your air handling in your house and we can make that more secure and we can protect you with filtration from um, yeah, sleeping gas or you know sort of or biohazard um, but two we can also do things that proactively empt you know I've been working in my office all day uh, I haven't realized that my air is particularly bad and I'm feeling a bit you know stale at two o'clock in the afternoon well actually you know what we probably should have done is automatically fed you more air or opened a window for you um, before it got to that point. And we're talking about a connection there with nature and green spaces, which takes us into a kind of biophilic story. And, and Vanessa, this is a beautiful picture. Uh, it's certainly not my bathroom. Uh, all the plants would be dead if it were. But do you want to tell us a, a little bit about biophilic and how the outdoors is coming inside? Yeah, absolutely. So this is, I think, really exciting um, on every level. It's definitely, I think, uh, technologists, garden designers and interior designers can definitely collaborate a lot more together with biophilic design. Um, and essentially it's, it's bringing nature in, bringing the outdoor in. And there are so many things um, that you can, you can do with biophilic design, as in um, just obviously the first one is to bring plants into your house, indoor plants. So, and there are, it's, Plants give out, most plants give out oxygen in the day. So choosing the right kind of plants to be in your main working area will make a really, really huge difference. Um, and then also choosing for maybe your bedroom to have something more like a succulent, say an aloe vera or something like that, because those are the ones that give out oxygen in the day. And they don't, um, they're not, because some other plants give out carbon dioxide, which is what you don't want when you go to sleep. Um, so there's that and then just working with garden designers so that everything that you see from the outside is green. For instance, uh, bike sales in the UK have gone up dramatically. So um, what a lot of the Dutch do and what we're doing for a client at the moment is our builder is creating a bike shed on the outside of their house. And um, so that's going to store the bikes in the winter. But then what we're also doing, because it will look much more aesthetically pleasing, <laughs> is on the roof of that bike shed, we are putting loads of greenery. And that will come up through the front window. So I think that's a really nice way of doing it. And then going back to kind of the airflow and the, the ventilation, biophilic designed by having plants inside is also gonna help purify the air, which again is gonna help increase our productivity. Um, so it's great. We've actually started doing lighting, not lighting, sorry, plant specification sheets in our past three projects, uh, which has been a huge amount of fun. I've learned a lot about plants. Um, and also it kind of adds another dynamic in, from a, just a purely interiors point of view of having really gorgeous plant pots um, and adding pops of colour into a house that way. So interior designers working with garden designers? Completely, and kind of carving out spaces that you can connect the two. I mean, I've always had this personal dream of having a kitchen where it goes from the inside and literally the kitchen is running from the inside to the out. And you have this continuity of the outside coming in. And I think that gives people such a, a lovely feeling of space. But then going to say a smaller apartment in the city, you know, how can we inject the outside in on that? Because it's so important, like the village. <laughs> Opening up to the outside, Susie. So um, do you see more of this coming, coming in interior designer's way? 
nevertheless, I think people are going to have to rethink the way that apartment buildings are designed. Um, anyone that's spent the last three months stuck in an apartment with you know no balcony or a tiny, tiny little balcony, I think some of those developers are really going to struggle some of those properties that are coming to market because people won't want them. And again, there's a degree of automation that you could bring to a solution like this, Andrew. An automated irrigation system, I think, is you know sort of par for the course for that. Um, and that you know it takes away that initial point where if it's too much hassle, it won't happen. Um, it'll just literally wilt and die. I think that the other thing is that very clever garden lighting and the automation of that garden lighting enables you to bring in your garden um, for longer than just daylight hours. Um, and that being able to look out and have green space, you know, whatever time of day it is for you, is one of those important sort of connect doors to the garden and to that sort of outdoor space. And that, um, you know, that, that I suppose all of those things that we can help with and then, you know, things like, um, you know, at a very, very simple level, um, this, um, and I call them aircraft hangar doors, it's probably not correct. Um, but if it gets too windy, this needs to come down. If it gets too wet, this needs to come down. And, you know, you might not necessarily be at home if you're on the, the top of an apartment building or, you know, um, you might be in the wrong part of the house to recognise that. And so the automation and the safe automation of that um, is something that naturally could very, very simply fit in with um, everything else and be a sort of technically transparent in the home. Actually choosing natural materials or choosing pieces of furniture that mimic nature is, is another way of bringing biophilic design into the home. But on the natural materials, having um, using products such as bamboo um, in your rugs or for your kitchen worktops um, and things like that is, I think, I think a really great way of bringing in biophilic design. Not only that, it's they're, they're quite often more sustainable products too, which is something that kind of moving forward we all need to be thinking about as well. Susie, I mean, do you, do you think biophilic is just one of those buzzwords that, that gets talked about but actually less likely to get implemented? I think there's a fair amount of greenwash surrounding biophilic, but I think I don't think interior designers yet understand enough about its potential. I think it's I think it will come. I do. Final thoughts, Andrew. Where do you where do you see everything post pandemic going? Look, I um I see that um, that those that can afford country houses will will get them, um, and that they they will want their country house to operate like their city house. Um, and that it'll be a seamless transfer between the two of them and that they will escape to the country when that's convenient and they'll escape to the city when that's convenient and that will work sort of um, for the you know for the ultra top end that will work very very well. Um, I see as a more sort of you know the sort of a, a pared down thoughts on that that most people have realized that actually that working from home whilst it does have um, pressures and constraints and it's not yeah, it's not a perfect world, is something that they would probably like to continue with after we come out of lockdown. And whether that's they're working two or three days a week at home and the rest of the time in their office, um, I see that that is sort of one of those trends that, that, that potentially, you know, that will continue. And so that those people will require a better solution than their dining table. Um, and whether that is a... Um, you know, that a, a beautifully designed piece of joinery that hides everything off in their dining room that is ergonomically and functional, um, or whether that's a, a reimagination of their, their existing office, or a reimagination of a room that is currently sort of only used to 50% of its potential. I think that people are going to need to invest in, in those spaces. And um, Rebecca um, makes an interesting point about who has to invest in these spaces. And I, I suspect that it's a um, you know, that, that, that you have to invest in your own well-being, but equally, you know, your employer needs to invest in your technical well-being and your technical ability to work from home. And so the answer is that, that, that everybody's got to sort of help and pull in the right direction. Um, I very much doubt that anyone's 
um, employer is going to ring up and say, look, I'd like you to contact Vanessa or Susie, and they're going to create you the most beautiful office you've ever seen, and we're going to fit the bill. Um, you know, that, that it's just not going to happen. They're going to say, here's your monitor, here's your computer, here's your this, here's your that. Um, you know, that, that we'll go and make sure that that ticks all of our OH and H, OH and S um, boxes. Um, you know, the, if you want a beautiful office, you know, you're going to have to call Vanessa or Susie yourself. Um, I do think that there's a, a large tranche of people that went to gyms because that was where you went to work out. Um, and that those people have realised that they don't want to work out in a gym anymore. Their home is a better place. It's more efficient. It doesn't take you an hour to get there and an hour to get back. Um, you know, you don't have to hang about with the muscled up guy in the two short shorts, um, you know, groaning in the corner. You know, that there's a, there's a, a better world for that. <laughs> and that, you know, that those people will want to be able to work out in their home, be it, you know, in a converted room or in a sort of a dedicated space. And I, I think that those that haven't got outdoor space are very jealous about those that have got it. And those that have got it have found that it's been a, a lifesaver. So being able to extend into those spaces uh, is then the other sort of the, the other trend on that. And if you can't, you know, cheat it and bring it inside. Um, put plants in your Victorian chair, um, plant around your bathtub. You know, I think those things are, uh, are only going to make people's lives better um, post this world. And Vanessa, what would you add to that? But I think as interior designers and technologists, we're gonna have to work really, really hard and be even more conscious about what our clients' needs are. Um, I know definitely as interior designers, we already really consider what our clients want and how they live in the home. But now it's about thinking deeper about that. You know, whether or not it's creating these fresh air havens, if you've got a small place and using a balcony, how can we use bring the outdoor in? Or if it's, uh, like I mentioned before, a family with a small child and trying to forecast how they're going to move around in that space. Um, and I think we need to be a bit more futuristic in the way that we think. Um, I think coming down and all hunkering back into our homes has been, you know, for some people they've had space to think. Other people have found it really, really stressful with the anxiety of the spinning the plates. So the home has become so much more in so many different ways. It's not just somewhere to go home after working um, with the kids. It's somewhere to be for your well-being. It needs to have more of a spa feeling. It's got to work as a multifunctional space for, you know, being with the gym, working from home, homeschooling. I mean, there are so many more boxes that need to be ticked at the get-go so that we can get it right. Um, and I personally think also on a for my business, after doing all of this kind of investigation for this webinar, I will definitely go back and revisit my core values about the company and how do I feel about it? You know, what's important to me? You know, having, you know, not so many planes up in the sky um, has given our, our planet the ability to breathe. Sustainability is something that for me is really important. And kind of deciding and using suppliers that maybe can, can help with that more because the more we invest and the more we recommend those kind of companies, the more the other people will kind of get onto that bandwagon. So that's how I feel about it. And, and Susie, a, a bit of a clarion call there for get a professional involved. Well, I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We, we um, I mean, I really think, I think that um, interior designers are going to be in the, in the vanguard of this, this new, this new world. I think it's just coming up with as many, I mean, we've touched on all the various things that you, you can do, and it's just about building in as many of those elements into your thinking, even for quite modest properties. Um, appreciate that, you know, you may not be able to have the fancy automatic opening, folding doors and, and all, and the circadian, circadian lighting, but there will be things that you can do in every situation to just mitigate some of the difficulties people have been experiencing. 
Brilliant. Thank you all so much. Really good. Really enjoyed that. Thank you all. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to both Andrew and Vanessa for their fabulous insights. You've given us an enormous amount to take away and think about. Um, Once again, interior designers and architects will be first responders and enablers in helping society to successfully manage these changes. We've got a lot to do. In the meantime, please listen to our audio-only shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and on-demand services everywhere. Uh, We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. You can find us wherever you, you search for the podcast. This webinar is a Wildwood production. Thank you so much for listening.